All right, will you please turn with me to 1 Peter, chapter 1, starting in verse 13, a passage that did me much good this week. I've been praying it'll do much good for you. 1 Peter, chapter 1, starting in verse 13. It starts with the word, therefore, because he thinks, in his mind as you have, this is a letter that you've read all of the things that come before it, all of the blessing and living hope and the inheritance and all these things, and now that he's laid out all of the hope that you have, he says, 1 Peter 1.13, Therefore, the basis of weeks of preaching, preparing your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, your word is sure. Your confirmations are many, but our faith is weak. Please help us to set our hope more fully on this grace that's being brought to us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Starting tonight with a thesis. My thesis is that hope changes people. You know this if you're a sports fan. Your team comes out against the number one undefeated champions. No one expects your team to win. But then they stop the opponent's first drive in whatever sport it is. Then they score themselves. And so maybe there's hope after all. And the moment you see that, you see that your team starts to play better. There's hope. Or you know this if you've ever dated before. Desperately in love with a girl who's out of your league. And there's no hope. What's the point in trying? But then she flashes you a smile. She tells you, maybe we should hang out sometime. Well, now there's hope. Now you brush your teeth. Now you change your shirt. Now you make a plan. You can see this in a lot of areas. Hope changes people. That's exactly the phenomenon that Peter's tapping into at the beginning of his letter. Peter knows that he's writing to suffering Christians who are tempted to give up hope. And the first thing he does is he lays out our hope as clear as possible. We've been seeing that the past couple of weeks. He's been pressing the hope into our souls, kneading it into the dough. He's reminding us that we have a living hope. He's been reminding us that we have an imperishable inheritance. We have a a salvation ready to be revealed. We have a great grace ready to be brought to us. He's been reminding us of all these things at the beginning of the letter so that we'll believe it, so that we'll be changed by it. Because now he wants to start getting into how hopeful people ought to live. So tonight, as we start this transition into the do part of Peter, we've been hearing about what God does for us. Now let's hear about the do part. As Peter shifts into exhortation mode, there's one thing he wants to tell us first. One shift of the soul he wants to start us with. He wants us, he wants to tell us that we need to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set our hope on that. 
And this part of 1 Peter, he starts to tell us three ways we can do this. First, I'll use my own Justin paraphrase. First, roll up your sleeves. Second, keep clear-headed. Third, conform to God, not the world. Those three things. If you missed them, we'll come back to them. So let's start just first with the tagline. Set your hope fully on the grace. I I think first what I want to do in this sermon is I want to make sure that we really understand that we're clear on what he means by setting our hope fully on the grace. Because I think we might have a sense of what this means. We might think, I got a little grasp of that. But I want to make sure it's very clear. So the first question you might have, though, is, well, Pastor Rosser, why are you starting with that command? I mean, why aren't you starting with prepare your minds or be sober-minded? They come first in that list. And the reason is that that phrase, setting your hope, it actually has the main verb of this section. It's the big idea that all the other participles are supporting. Let's talk about what this means. This is the big idea for tonight. What does that mean? What does it mean to set our hope fully on the grace to be revealed? I thought about this a long time because I wanted to get this right. I think I'd like to define setting your hope this way. Setting your hope means really wanting something And then aiming all of your thoughts and all of your actions at that thing that you want with an expectation that you're going to get it. So I'll say that again. It means you really want something, so you bend all your thoughts and all your actions towards that something, expecting that you're going to get it. Those three things. So people set their hopes on lots of things this way. Uh, Young people might set their hopes on going to a good college and getting a high-paying job. So they'll make plans and they'll work hard and expect that they'll get it someday because that's why they're working so hard. Or maybe you're an older person and maybe you set your hope on your family being safe and secure so you make the right decisions for your children and you save a lot in your retirement and you arrange everything just so so that someday you can just kind of sit back and and things will be good. There's a problem with the way people usually set their hopes in this world. Sometimes you set your hopes on a great job and coming out of college and you don't get that job. Sometimes you do get it and you find out that you hate it. Sometimes you you get everything set up so you can kind of coast later in life and things happen and nothing turns out the way you wanted it to turn out. And Peter's saying here, don't make the things of this life your greatest desires. Don't set your hope on those things. Don't aim all your thoughts and all your actions at earthly hopes because they're they're empty hopes. Instead, he says this. He says, set your hope fully, 100%, on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation, at the coming of Jesus Christ. The neat thing about this statement is it's probably better translated the grace which is being brought to you because it's a present participle. So Peter's saying, yes, set your hope on everything Jesus is bringing when he comes again. Set your hope on that great day. And by the present participle, he's saying, you can start setting your hope on all of those things now. All of the things he's bringing you now. They're here and they're coming. Uh, Present and future. So this is what Christians set their hope in. Christians sets their hope on the presence of God now and the pleasures at his right hand forevermore. 
and a Christian sets their hope on the joy of a life lived well with God now and all the unimaginable things that he's prepared for those that love him. It starts now, and it only gets better. It's like this. Hope the Landons don't mind. You know, the Landons live nearby. They live at Nadia's family's house for a season because Nathan's been building his own house with his bare hands, which is awesome. So I bet he won't mind me saying that. Well, the house is almost finished, and they can start moving furniture in, but it might be a little bit longer until they can move their bodies in, unless I've got that wrong. Nadia, I don't know. That's what Nathan said on Wednesday. So what would make a lot of sense for them to do? Well, it would make a lot of sense to start moving some things into their new home to the place that they want to live. Because the place they're living now is a temporary place. And that's Peter's point, too. The older I get, the more I see of all the miseries of this life, and the more certain I get of all the glory that's coming, the more I want to start moving more of that furniture into that home, that new home that Jesus is preparing. When investments fail, we go, oh, so hard for that. When loved ones die, when nations scream about nuclear war, as they do, God says, don't you want to put a little bit more of that furniture that life that's coming. Don't you want to set your hope more fully on this grace that's being brought to you? That's why Peter's been pounding this hope into us. He's been pounding it in. That's what the Lord would have us do. So that's our main big point. And, and now we have to talk about how do we do this? Because that's where Peter goes next. He's, he's shifting us. He's saying, here's this great hope. Now set your hope on this. Now, okay, now how do we do this? Now these are our three points for tonight. First way first way that we set our hope on this coming grace, I'm putting it this way, you roll up your sleeves, because one of the ways that hope changes us is when you have hope, you're energized. When you have hope, now you have a purpose. It makes you ready to rock and roll. First verb in 13 is usually translated in English, preparing your minds for action, But in Greek, it actually says, gird up the loins of your mind. And our translator said, you probably don't know what that means, although you probably do. In Peter's day, they wore long robes. So if they wanted to work hard, if they wanted to run, if they wanted to travel a long distance, robes would be annoying. So they would tuck the bottom of their robes into their belt so they wouldn't trip over them. Might look a little silly, but you wouldn't trip over it. And Peter's telling us to do that with our minds. And don't think minds like your intelligence. Don't think that kind of mind. Think for the mind that guides you and directs your actions. The choosing mind. The deciding mind. The planning mind. So a good way to translate this statement in today's terms, if we kind of updated it in the message translated by Justin, is to say, roll up your sleeves. Peter wants us to roll up our sleeves Be ready to work. One way that you can set your hope fully on the grace that's coming is to roll up your sleeves and be ready to work towards this grace that's coming. 
to get yourself into a posture where you're ready to work on whatever God calls you to do. Whatever God says the priority is, whatever God says is important for you to do, for you to roll up your sleeves and get busy with that. Roll up your sleeves because if God's convicting you, I need to be more in the Word. You get more in the Word. You roll up your sleeves if you see things going on in your kids. You've got parenting issues that come one after another. You're ready. Say, I'm going to address this. You roll up your sleeves so if God is convicting you that you need to be bold in your witness at work, that you're ready. You're going to be bold in that witness at work, that you're, you're setting your hope on things to come. Because, brothers and sisters, the Christian life is not a passive exercise. It is not. The Christian life is a hard-working and highly intentional life. So we roll up our sleeves and we bend our effort toward the grace that's coming. We lay up our treasure in heaven. And we're able to do this because we have a sure hope that all that hard work is going to be rewarded when he comes. That's the first way you set your hope on the grace that is to come. Put all your effort, all your energy, all your thoughts on that one lucky number. You bend it all that way, ready to work, ready to act, ready to be purposeful. Working for that day, working for that reality. Okay, that's first. You roll up your sleeves. That's number way number one. You set your hope. Way number two, we keep ourselves clear-headed. So for this point, I want to remind you again what it means to set your hope on something. It means to really want something and then to work really hard with all your thoughts and actions with the expectation that you'll get that something. That's what it means to set your hope. And we've been seeing that this entails some intentional action toward your hopes, some rolling up of your sleeves. Now you're going to see it entails the opposite. Setting your hope also means that you keep yourself from things that make you unable to work, that make you unable to, to act and think toward your hope. Because Peter tells you to be sober-minded. You're right if you're thinking, what does sober-minded mean? You're right if you're thinking, not drunk, that's right. But it's bigger than that. He's really telling you to keep yourself from things that would make you drunk, or dull, or asleep spiritually, or anesthetized, hardened spiritually. Because what do people do when they have no hope? They anesthetize themselves. They dull themselves. Some will reach for bottles, as this word suggests, but some reach for remotes, and some reach for busyness, aimless busyness. But since we have hope, Peter wants you to do something very different. He knows there are so many things that could dull us to the things of God. Young men, it could be YouTube. It could be video games that dull you to the things of God. Older men, oh, you're not, you're not exempt. It could be sports. It could be overworking that dulls you to the things of God. Young women, it could be social media that could dull you. It could be health fads that dull you. Older men, it could be, or older women, it could be remodeling things around the home. It could be socializing. It could be shopping that could dull you to the things of God. And of course, none of these things are bad in and of themselves. I even like some of these things. But this is a call for self-control, brothers and sisters. 
self-control with an aim. Self-control with the aim of enjoying His presence more. Self-control with the aim of enjoying pure pleasures. Self-control with the aim of putting more of your furniture in the home that is to come. I've quoted this before. I just love this quote. This is so good for a self-indulgent man like me. Years and years ago, uh, Susanna Wesley says, now Susanna Wesley's the mother of John Wesley and the mother of Samuel Wesley, and I think she's the superstar of that family. And Susanna Wesley said, whatever weakens your reason impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, Whatever takes off your relish for spiritual things, whatever increases the authority of the body over the soul, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may seem in itself. Back to our point. We are to be sober-minded. In this way, we set our hope more fully on the grace to come. We're not dulling ourselves without hope. We're able to do this because we have hope, as we've already seen. One more thing. One more thing we do to this end. We're rolling up our sleeves. We're staying clear-headed because we have this hope, working towards this hope. And now, one more thing. We conform ourselves to the right thing. That's what this last point will be. Conforming ourselves to the right thing. So our last point, actually, if you look at it, It talks about conformity in two different directions. What hopeful people shouldn't conform themselves to and what hopeful people should conform themselves to. So we'll do both of those. On the one hand, Peter says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He's saying, you know, once upon a time, you didn't have this hope. This hope of a new life, this hope of life with Christ and the pleasures of his right hand, that didn't even register with you because you just chased the same lusts as the rest of the world because maybe you were converted later in life or maybe you were raised as a Christian but it didn't click for a long, long time. Either way, what you did before it clicked is you lusted after whatever the rest of the world lusts after. You lusted after comfort. So you... Rolled up your sleeves after money and leisure. You lusted after power, so you rolled up your sleeves, stayed clear-headed so you could chase popularity or influence, or, or you lusted after sex, so you bent all of your thoughts and all of your actions towards women or pornography. Or Those are the passions of our former ignorance, brothers and sisters. And if you're getting convicted, amen, if you're thinking, this is the passion of my former ignorance, that I'm pursuing. And Peter's not just saying, don't put your hope in these things. He's saying, don't be like the hopeless multitudes that only have a hope in these things. Because I think in a lot of ways, people who put their hope in these things, they do it because they really don't have a choice in their minds. They put their hope in lower things because they don't have anything higher to put their hope in. So really all they're doing is they're just going with the world's flow and They're just doing what comes naturally. But brothers and sisters, God says you have to be different. Because in Christ you have a living hope. By the blood of his covenant, he's made you children of God. That's actually the Greek term there in verse 14. He says you're 
children of obedience. It says as obedient children, but in Greek it says as children of obedience. That's, how, that's who you are. That's how your character, that's your new identity. So you have great reason to be different. Now I'll, I'll use a little, let me use a little illustration. I think it might help you. You know as well as I do that the sinful world system is like a powerful river. It's deep and wide. And it picks up people and it's strong current. And it sweeps them away towards destruction. And you have friends and you have family and you have people you know. They just kind of, they don't see any good reason to swim against the current. They think the current's good. They just sit back in their inner tubes, enjoy their drinks, and conform. Go where the rest of the world is going, the, the way that's broad and leads to destruction. But this is saying children of God can't do that. Children of God have a better hope upstream that they need to swim towards. Children of God have the Holy Spirit giving them strength to paddle. And so we have to swim. Christians have to swim. Christian life isn't just sit in the inner tube. It's, it's a life of swimming. We have to set our hope fully on his grace every day or we'll conform and just get swept downstream with the rest of the world. And you can feel that in yourself. You can feel the, the passions of your former ignorance start to, as you start to lose sight of him, you start to steal yourself drifting towards the passions of your former ignorance. That brings us to the second half of this point. You're not just supposed to resist being conformed to the world, but because you have a living hope, you have something a whole lot better to conform yourself to. And that's God. God's calling you to swim against the stream to conform to him, to be like him, to be holy. Verse 15, look at what it says. It says, but as he who called you He's calling you from upstream. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. God's calling us. He's saying, be holy like me. Be like me. Be holy. And the neat thing about God, when he calls you, it's not just a command. It's not just do this. When God commands, at the same time that the command comes, he also grabs your heart with the command, and he brings his power to bear to help you. So God's saying, come be holy like me, and I'll make you want to come, and I'll help you to come. Maybe he puts a little motor on your inner tube. Now let's talk a little bit more about this specific thing he's calling you to. God's calling you to be holy. I know you know what it means to be holy. It means to be separate. I want to make it even clearer. It means being separate from past sins. Separate from sin. So this means something practical for you. It means that God wants you to say no to many things that your flesh wants. He wants you to say no. It means saying within yourself, no, I can't do that. It's going to make me want God less. No, I can't do that. It's wrong, and he sees it. Being holy means separating yourselves from past sins. You're separating from something. It also means being separated by something. Being separated by a righteous life. This means something practically for you, too. This means 
that you've got to stay close to him to live a righteous life. You've got to abide in him. It means having your mind renewed all the time. It means obeying, reading his word, making changes. It means saying within yourself, oh, I need to stay in prayer with him at all costs. Or I'm going to get swept away. It means I need to find my own way to serve. How have I been gifted? Being holy means separating yourself from sin by a righteous life. And one more. Being holy third means being separated unto him. Separated from sin by righteousness unto God. What this practically means for you is it means making God your highest treasure. It means saying within yourself every day, I'm a Christian, child of obedience. I'm his. This heart is his. These thoughts are his. My money is his. My time is his. And I want to follow the lamb wherever he goes, even if it's hard. That's what Revelation says about those who make it, right? They are those who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Now, none of this should be surprising to us in the New Covenant because this is how it was in the Old Covenant. Here's what I mean. Verse 16 says, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And did you know that's a direct quotation from Leviticus that shows up four times in Leviticus? And God's point in Leviticus is he wanted to give his people ways that they could be separate and set apart in every area of life. It's what Leviticus is about, how you can be separate to God. So this verse is quoted in Leviticus 11, where God tells his people, be holy in what you eat. It's quoted in Leviticus 19, where God tells his people to be holy in how they treat their parents, in how they worship, in how they spend the Sabbath. Then it's quoted again in Leviticus 20, where God tells his people to be holy in their sexuality. See, it's every part of life. So one of the points of Leviticus is that God wants his people to be holy like him in every aspect of life. And he's saying the same thing here in verse 15, isn't he? He's saying, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. In all your conduct. So, long story short, part of the way that you set your hope fully on the grace that's being brought to you, it's coming It's bought, it's paid for, it's on the way, and it's being dribbled to you little by little every day. Part of the way that you set your hope on that is you resist conformity to those old sinful lust patterns, to the world's lusts. You don't go their way. And you actively pursue conformity to God, conformity to His ways, to His holiness, separating yourselves from sin through righteousness unto Him to be His And with that, I think we're ready to start wrapping up. The beginning of 1 Peter gives us a lot of hope. Unmatched hope. So then the question that now comes in this book is, okay, so what do people do and how do people act when they have this kind of massive hope? Peter's going to get into, for the rest of this book, he's going to have all kinds of things to say about how we're supposed to live, how people of hope live. But first, he starts by telling us how we're supposed to be if we have a living hope. And he's just told us in this passage, 
You're supposed to be purposeful people, self-controlled people, pure people, obedient people. And we're to be this way because we have a God to hope in and sure promises to work toward. We're to be all in concerning the grace that's coming. So as we close, it occurs to me that this sounds an awful lot like something Jesus taught in Luke 12. In Luke 12, 35, Jesus says something very similar. Jesus says to his disciples, stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. And I think it's all here again. Think about it. We're hoping in the revelation of Christ when he comes. Jesus is coming. He's bringing with him his reward. This is what we pin all of our hopes on. So what kind of people are we to be? What are we to do with all of this? Well, we're to stay dressed for action, he says in this parable. Sleeves rolled up. We're to stay awake. Self-controlled and clear-headed. Yes? We're to conform ourselves to God, not the world. He says, like men who are waiting for their master to come home. And I think this begs the question. Is that us? Is that our church? Is that you? Are you like a man or a woman who's waiting for their master to come home? That if he came right now, if he came today, you'd say, good. Good, I'm ready. Good. Is your hope fully set on his coming grace? If it's not, why not? If it's not, what can you do about it? Well, Peter tells you, you just keep yourself in this hope. You just keep washing yourself. That's why you've got to be in the Word. You keep washing yourself in the promises of this hope like we've done at the beginning of 1 Peter. And then what else can you do? Well, Peter told you, shake off what's lulling you to sleep. Roll up your sleeves. Stop drifting with the world. Fight to conform to Christ. You can be more all in when it comes to his coming grace. You can answer his call. You can put more furniture there with him. Remembering that with his call always comes his help to answer that call. At the end of the day, if you have this hope, let's live like it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is a living hope. We pray for hearts that are so dull. Make it living more for us. Pray, O oh God, I don't doubt that your Spirit's been going in our midst, convicting, saying, loosen your grip on this thing. Don't be going that way. Go, be going this way. Been convicting us, been convincing us, and saying, oh, do this. Take this back up. Roll up those sleeves. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would not let the enemy snatch any of this away. When we go home, back to normalcy, pray, O oh Lord, that you would keep this burning within us, making us people that are every day setting our hope more fully, more fully on your coming grace. I pray this for me. I pray this for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Name. Amen.